Welcome to season six, episode six of the podcast. And today we are lucky enough to be joined by Dr. Amelia Thompson. Amelia is a registered nutritionist, educator, lecturer, PhD holder, and bikini competitor. She is also an online nutrition consultant, working to help people improve their health, body composition, and their relationship with food. And I guess in this day and age of social media, that's becoming even more relevant and important. So Amelia, thank you so much for joining us on our podcast. We've been looking forward to this for weeks. Um, So welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. That was a really nice intro, so thanks. (laughs) Well, we... We've already just discussed before we came on that Andy is on his way to the UK. So he is podcasting from his car. So we're giving him 10 out of 10 for effort (laughs) for this podcast. Um, Because Kenya just came off the red list to the UK. So that kind of put a few spanners in the works for for him. But um, yeah, like I said, we've really been looking forward to having Amelia on. So nothing would stop us. So, Amelia, could you give us a little bit of your background? I know you were a bikini competitor um, and kind of what yeah, took you to this path uh, where you are currently. Sure. So, I have always been super academic. So, like you said, I have, a, I have an undergraduate in sports science, a master's in sport nutrition and a PhD in exercise physiology. But whilst I was stud- doing all of that and studying, I worked in elite sport and I wanted to work in more performance sport. But at the same time, I fell into weightlifting and fell into the bodybuilding world um, whilst I was doing my PhD. And from that, fell into the world of fitness, which uh, opened my eyes to kind of the state of evidence-based nutrition and fitness, the state of the um, authenticity or lack thereof of the, the people's relationships with food and fitness and the glorification of what fitness nutrition looked like and how different that was from actual health mm-hmm. and so when I started competing I kind of just delved into some of the research around dieting and because I'd never dieted before I'd chronic I've been a kind of chronic restrictor for my whole adult life mm-hmm. and so I didn't really know that dieting can impact your relationship with food and I when I fell into competing and made a lot of friends within that world I found out that actually extreme diets can be really triggering for some people and can and really damage their relationship with food so I kind of fell into all of that research and just kind of took it upon myself to just put out as much scientific information as I could into the realm of fitness and health and then I started lecturing in sport nutrition and a lot of my students would follow me on social media and they would always say like like why don't you do this full time so I kind of just after a while just moved through that and I started consulting more and then I dropped my lecturing quite a lot and and so now I've got this space in the industry where I have some coaches who work with me and I also run an online course called EIQ Nutrition where we teach this stuff we teach like compassionate holistic evidence-based nutrition trying to take the idea the way that it's all a fairy and all this outside stuff outside of macros is to remind people how important that is as well as just this is what a calorie deficit looks like so that's basically where I'm at now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I just think that it really is so important now, like you say, with social media, what you know, what you see and what you get is so different, you know, fitness versus health. 
Uh, I mean, Leon and, and Andy are, um, are, are bodybuilders as well. And, you know, just seeing the men's perspective, disordered eating um, and all of that. And just, yeah, having followed you and your message, it's, yeah, it, it's, yeah, such an interesting topic. So I guess, how would you define disordered eating? I think that, well, our relationships with food kind of exist on a spectrum. So you've got, at one end of the spectrum, you've got what we would class as clinical eating disorders. So those are the things that most people have heard of, anorexia, bulimia, mm -hmm. binge eating disorder. Um, they're at one end of the spectrum. And then at the other end of the spectrum, we've got an optimal, healthful relationship with food that looks like um, no food preoccupation, not dieting, eating intuitively in a good relationship with your with your body and that's at what the other end and eating like a variety of foods making sure you have enough nutrients etc and then everyone usually falls somewhere on that spectrum and disordered eating is really anything that any way of eating that negatively impacts your life in some way or it impacts the way that you live your life in some way and it's such such murky waters because if you ask one person what disordered eating is they'll tell you it's dieting they'll say dieting is disordered eating whereas if you ask someone else who is a health professional who maybe works people to diet them for their health reasons you say well it's not disordered eating at all it's mm -hmm. actually helpful to their to their relationship with food because maybe they have a bad one already so there's no kind of distinctive answer to that yeah. but I think that you kind of just have to think about where do I fit on the spectrum and does does my relationship with food or exercise or my body negatively impact my life in some way then that's usually what we say that's a red flag for potentially that's disordered eating. Mm -hmm. So we we had uh, Dr. Gabrielle Fondaro on, and she, she she sort of coaches sort of the intuitive eating as well. And we we really we just touched on it because that also I don't know gets it's hard to define like what is intuitive eating and how people take it and how social media markets it as something completely different. So. To you, what is intuitive eating and is that how you coach or I know you, you talk about mindful eating, is there a difference? Mm, I think Gabrielle's got a really interesting perspective on this as well, mm. I do enjoy watching what she says about mm. these things. For me, intuitive eating is a very structured intervention and it's not what I do with okay. my clients. Intuitive mm. eating is, you know, these ten based on these 10 principles and it's quite structured and there are... Mm not rules, but there are guidelines and there are step-by-step -step processes to go through. And that's not what I do with my clients. It's an anti-diet approach, which is fine. Um, but what I do with my clients is a lot more flexible and I'd, I'd call it more of a modified intuitive eating protocol where I take the principles from quote-unquote intuitive eating and you know things like food neutrality, mindfulness, um, and kind of take those and put them into a, a more of a structured way to support someone who may well have physique still or is trying to improve their relationship with food but also they care about maintaining muscle mass so we say right we're still going to have these guidelines of four protein servings a day vegetables and fruits with all of your meals we're still going to care about um fueling your training and that still falls into some of the intuitive eating stuff because they do care about um macros and micros and they just don't call it that they call it like food education and and so it's still similar but I'm not an intuitive eating practitioner and I don't follow the rules of that because I don't necessarily think rules are helpful. And I'm also not anti-diet for some people if they want to diet. And I think it's quite, it's required in the space for people that are, need to be anti-diet. But for me, it's 
too restrictive and it's too dichotomous it's too it's too anti-diet for me I don't agree with all, all of it and so that's why I don't use it but I do take the best parts of it and use it to support my clients in a non-anti-diet way yeah no uh, no I, I like that because it's like people still have I guess physique or aesthetic goals yeah. and it's and it's not to say like that is wrong but you don't necessarily want to go you know down the road of of weighing your food and you know and using my fitness power any of those other nutrition apps and I think yeah like you say um like anti-diet can be I think people then feel ashamed of having you know aesthetic goals um yeah and I mean yeah I I, I don't I'm I'm not sort of qualified to sort of it, like teach you know how to go more down your route but I find that really fascinating because you know it really is not for everyone to be yeah tracking your calories and macros um, yeah and, and ultimately what we want is people at the end of their at the end of their journey when they're yeah. at a good place we want them all to be eating intuitively we don't want everyone to be attached to my fitness pal or dieting yeah. all the time but dieting can serve a purpose at some times tracking can serve a purpose other times but you know the end point pretty much the end point for all my clients is that they're eating intuitively mm-hmm. but they're also still mindful of they're still progressively overloading in their training they're still making sure they get enough protein and all of these things they just do it in a much more holistic way and that's that's a good relationship with food mm-hmm. it doesn't need to be like this identity of intuitive eating or i think that's often a problem that we have especially in nutrition like everyone wants an identity for their diet yeah. they're both like they're a bodybuilder or the physique fitter or they're an anti-diet person or they're a body positive person and it's like you're not, you're just you and you just don't track your macros and that's yeah. that's fine. You don't need to attach mm-hmm. yourself to this thing. So that's why I don't like to give it a name. Mm-hmm. I just think yeah. Yeah. otherwise maybe I'm just attaching to it. Yeah, of course. Well, I, I agree there because I do think there's a, there's a space where people, not space, everyone seems to want to pitch a camp and fight, uh, fight a cause where actually there's no one solution fits everyone and actually the flexibility to move between different approaches is kind of where you need to be because yeah um, I've met people that need to diet because of health reasons and I've met people that are dieting when they're really lean already because they've got a you know where they've been preconditioned to believe that they need to still be leaner and leaner and leaner and you know trade yeah absolutely that and that's the thing you need to figure out why you're dieting you can i'm anti-diet for people that are lean who are dieting to try and find some sort of acceptance or control in their body i am i am an anti-diet for those people but like you said if you've got somebody who's in a larger body who potentially could benefit from the behaviors that come with dieting then you can't like to be anti-diet for someone like that who can benefit from it is really unhelpful so do you think it's useful for people to have a background with tracking calories and macros for a period um or not necessarily do you know my position on this has changed quite a bit i used to say that i used to say it's you should have this understanding first and Mm -hmm. that's how you can then learn to eat intuitively Mm -hmm. my position has changed slightly i think it can be really really useful and if tracking is helpful for you i think it's a great thing for everyone to to understand macros and stuff I really do but it's certainly not a necessary prerequisite um if you have people for example who have never tracked before but you put them into like more of an intuitive intervention they don't gain weight they don't lose weight but they get healthier we Mm -hmm. see various changes in health like health markers so you can still get loads of benefits from 
keep like kind of eating intuitively and not having that kind of background of tracking and you can also understand portion sizes mm-hmm. and learn about healthy nutrition without putting it into my fitness pal like you, you th- before my fitness pal we had portion sizes we had fists we had like half a plate yeah. it's just that that's what we have now and it's so easy and it's so i think as coaches we're really we take advantage of that a little bit because it's easy for us it's mm-hmm. so easy for us to be like here's our macros and go off we don't have to say well what does the portion look like to you what size are your plates and so there's so many ways to do it I think it can be super helpful but I definitely don't think which I used to think that it's a requirement beforehand personally yeah no I think that's really interesting because we've always kind of thought it's yeah so helpful to have that not not even for that long but just like you say to understand more portion sizes and the nutrient information of food but yeah definitely from working with some people it just it's not for them. It's just either yeah. too confusing or already it's just all-consuming. Um, exactly that. And people have got lives and a lot of people have got families and all these things. And as soon as you start saying, like, let's track everything, then it gets in the way of their family life and, and their other values. And you think we're supposed to be helping you fit this into your life, not just, like, take away from it. But like you said, there is a place, I think, mm-hmm. sometimes. Yeah, I think... I always say this to, to clients, anything that causes you stress in, the, in, in my training, I'm just going to move. So if weighing yourself once a week causes you anxiety, we're going to stop weighing you. And, you know, same with tracking. If someone said to me, I find it really hard to track and it's, it's, you know, I'm getting stressed about hitting my macros, I, you know, I would pull it because I always say to people, my clients, because they're not professional athletes, so this should be fun. You, know, you should be getting enjoyment out of training training's enjoyable you know and you know eating well is to fuel that training not the other way around you know we should have fun training and that food is just beautiful enjoy your food occasionally yeah i think that's a nice way of putting it actually if it causes you stress let's not do it because as well i think when people have come from bad coaches or bad support in the past they've been forced to do so many things and it still amazes me to this day some of the some of the practices that some coaches have and it's like well, i don't care if you don't like weighing yourself it's the only way that i can measure your progress so you have to do it and i said to my client the other day you know i'll support you through whatever you need to you need to. she had a lot going on and i said look we'll skip this check in i'll support yeah. you and she said that i just want to say thanks no coach has ever told me they've got my back before wow. i just thought <laughs> what on earth <laughs> Sometimes you think you try and do all of this kind of progressive stuff and holistic stuff, and you think really a lot of the stuff out there is so basic that even like the most minute changes that you're making are like transformative by saying you've got your clients back. It's like, oh, now I want to do well. It's like, I mean, that's a total error. Do you think some coaches get caught up with this PTI mentality of like the army PTI where it's my way or the highway? You know, tough love. When the reality is that that may work for some one person, but yeah, most people, you know, often own, like, the forces or, or need that structure. But for a lot of other people, that's the exact opposite of what they need. You know, yeah. we need a bit more nurturing, we need that, putting around them, <laughs> and actually, you know, explain with your team. And, you, you know, you work as a team, not, not it's me telling you what to do. Well, exactly. And if you think about people who have poor relationships with food or people who need to diet for their health or want to diet, a lot of that time that coexists with low self-worth. Like that's really common and a lot of times people diet to try and develop their self-worth so if you're then preaching at them and, and taking away their autonomy it's the opposite of improving their self-worth and they're much more likely to fail on their goals because they don't have any self-worth they don't believe they're worth it they can't do it they won't stick to it because they're not worth it um 
but that's again I just don't think some people are open to that discussion it's their way or the highway like you said yeah and I think that Andy touched on we always talk a lot about how it's yeah you know what you see on social media you know maybe especially with with fitness like that person is either a competitor or it's their whole life and they're you know, maybe they're using a macro and calorie tracking method. So I think so many people just assume that that's how you've got to do it if you have, you know, a physique goal. Um, and it's it, and that is yeah, very black or white. But like with your approach, you can still you can have both, um, and and not necessarily have to go down one route. But so with with your with your your method, is it different for each client, or do you have a sort of a structure that most people kind of follow? I mean, it depends on their goals, but we have the same overarching kind of principles. So we do a lot, I provide a lot of homework for my clients that are more kind of therapeutic techniques. Mm -hmm. So they'll do things like um, work on their self-compassion, their mindfulness, and they'll have specific habits and tasks to do. They'll work on um, their belief systems and their values and that's really important because that then informs what we do but we also regardless of what their goals are with their nutrition we also do a lot of work on um re-establishing trust in themselves and their internal cues so we'll do a lot of fullness work and hunger work and so in regards of their goals all of these things combine to really develop trust in themselves again whatever route they're going down for their body or their relationship with food a lot of it just is about trust and respecting themselves whilst we do all the macros and the nutrition stuff so you know, I have a client who works with me for two years and I never set them a macro, mm-hmm. ever. Yeah. And yet, we're doing something every single week because every single week it's like, oh, actually, do you include central fats in your diet? Okay, let's focus on that this week. Do you trust yourself to go out to eat? No. Okay, so what do we need to do here? And I think this is one of the issues that we have with coaches again. Like People are scared not to give macros because they don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And so it's about thinking, well, what do my clients actually need? They need to develop this trust in their internal cues. How can we develop that trust in their hunger and their fullness signals again? And how can we develop someone's self-worth and self-compassion? And that might look like things like starting a gratitude log and journaling. It might look like introducing meditation. It might look like writing yourself self-compassion letters or doing some body image work. So I've, I've been running my company for about four years um, and I have six coaches that work beneath me and so they all have the same documents the same sources and the same homework stuff and we all use the same sort of thing but like I say some of our clients are trying to gain weight some are trying to lose weight some are trying to just feel at peace but they all have the same strands like Mm -hmm. within that I think they're all really important for your relationship with food Mm -hmm. Andy sorry I think I interrupted you you were going to say something no no, I I, I thought I was interrupting you I was going to say there's one thing I wanted to touch on and you know, and, and speak about it. it's something I had a conversation the other day. You know, after after my dog died, I was on prepping, and it's about food as a coping mechanism. Because I and I was, I was having this conversation with Catherine Wilson. I was like, for me, food is a very valid coping mechanism. I said, you know, whilst I was in prep, I couldn't use it to as a coping mechanism. Normally, I would rather than drink it. Like when I was younger and left Marines, I was in the place. I would just go and drink it. You know, but now I'm, I'm likely to just, yeah, eat, eat. And I think there's a bit of a, almost a stigma to food as a coping mechanism. And I think there's a fine line between using it as an initial coping mechanism and then it becoming something bigger. Like, mm-hmm. I, I remember, like, last year when my dad died, 
yeah, I went out for my birthday the week later. And I went to a food a food festival. And I had twenty thousand calories plus. And I, you know, it was great. You know, the food was great. You know, not what happened was what happened was horrible, but the food was great, and I did, I did genuinely have a good day because of it. You know, um, so you know, I just I, you know, I would just like to have this sort of discussion about food and coping mechanism and how we portray that to clients. Because I've had clients who've gone through hard times. They said, oh, you know, I went crazy a weekend. I had, you know, four packs of cookies because yeah, so bad happened. I'm like, and I always say to them, well, that's that's life. You know, life comes up and. And that's okay, you know, that's okay. You know, we're not going to allow it to become a habit, like where you are binge eating or whatever, but as a form of initial emotional support, if that's, you know, if it helped, great. Yeah, I think you're totally right. I think, like, food is a legitimate comfort strategy, providing it's not your only comfort strategy, I think. And if it's actually bringing you comfort, like, if you're heartbroken and you eat a tub of Ben and Jerry's and it brings you a little bit of temporary comfort that's absolutely fine but if it becomes a point where you're eating that every day and rather than crying you're actually just eating and you're not even dealing with your feelings then that's the difference it's like so I can say to my I can see with my clients if they're trying to just not feel something or if they say do you know what I was so upset I cried on the floor for half an hour and then I ate some ice cream fantastic welcome to being a human being that's great but if they're just sort of saying everything is fine everything is fine but I keep overeating and I say, well, you've just been dumped and, you know, you've just lost your job and all these things and you're telling me everything is fine, then we've got a bit of a disconnect here. So I think it's about having that relationship with someone, right? But you're completely right. It's just about, well, one of the strands of self-compassion is common humanity, which is like this idea that you're human and it's normal and everyone does it. And so if you can, sometimes it's just about reminding someone of that, right? It's like, you're a human being and I've done that before and that's okay. And you move on and that's fine. So it's, it's not like a black and white thing though, isn't it? So people get confused because it's like, there's no right or wrong way to comfort eat. It's just about saying sometimes it's okay and sometimes it's not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's, that's so interesting, yeah, how people yeah, view, view things like that as right or wrong. Like there is no right or wrong way to eat or, or again, diet. Um, and... It, I guess we, we follow more of a flexible dieting approach. Um, and I mean, is that is that sort of similar to kind of like mindful eating? Is there, or, or not really? Yeah, so mindful eating, like mindfulness basically mm. just means being in the moment, present, okay. yeah. without judgment. That's what mindfulness really means. And so when it comes to mindful eating, it's about sitting down with your food, being aware of what you're eating, not judging what's on your plate, mm-hmm. thinking about how hungry you are and eating in accordance with that to some degree, but also eating in accordance with your preference. And so you can eat mindfully whilst tracking your macros mm-hmm. and you can eat mindfully whilst doing flexible dieting. You're not technically eating intuitively, which is slightly different because you're not honouring your hunger and fullness, especially if you're dieting, right? You're following mm-hmm. these external rules. But you can certainly implement certain parts of mindful eating within an overall flexible diet mm-hmm. type of approach and actually that's really helpful because we know that mindfulness is associated with reduced disordered eating symptoms reduced overeating reduced binge eating so often if you're dieting regardless of whether you're flexible dieting or not after you diet you can have these poor like this poor relationship with food for a lot of people and so doing things like practicing mindful eating whilst you're still dieting practicing self-compassion whilst you're still dieting means that when you finish dieting and you're not using my fitness pal all the time 
you are a lot more mindful of what you're doing and you're less likely then to fall into bad habits. Mm-hmm. So all of these things, although they can help with like that poor relationship with food, they can really help to implement as soon as you start like flexible dieting or dieting in any way. Yeah, yeah no, that makes sense. Uh, with, with that, do you find like, um, say, uh, bodybuilding preps because you're in such a structured sort of uh, lifestyle and I remember my first competition. After the competition, you know, I, you look lean. You, you know, you, 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 you're, you're not the healthiest, but you look the best. You feel like, wow, you know, I could stay like this forever. And after, yeah, after I, you know, it's go out for burgers or whatever with friends. But somehow I was scared of it because I was like, man, I'm going to lose my abs. But it really didn't bother me. But I'm sure you've seen sort of how bodybuilding lifestyle can create sort of that mindset where it's almost disordered eating for some people yeah i would say it's disordered eating for most people not all people but most people there's there was actually some there was actually a paper that looked at this and they identified like three different strands to why this happens in bodybuilders so You've got like the extreme dieting side of things. So when you extreme diet, your leptin levels, which is the hunger hormone that helps reduce your appetite, um, those go down because it's predominantly um, stored in fat cells. So you've not really got any body fat left, right? So your hunger levels go up. Also, your other hormones change and you've been quite restrictive. So you've got this increased biological drive to eat, even regardless of anything else from that diet side. You also have maybe 16 weeks of total self-surveillance every single day. You're looking at yourself you become obsessed with the way that you look you're getting critiqued on that by other people as well so you've got this kind of second strand of just consistent self-surveillance which increases your risk of poor eating habits then you've also got like this um precursor to bodybuilders and this is one that uh, this, uh, this cut me deep a little bit because people who go into bodybuilding have a lot of similar traits to people who develop anorexia and there's a hundredfold I think this is the right stat. There's a hundredfold higher rate of prior anorexia diagnoses in people who do bodybuild versus people who don't. A hundred times higher. But they also have, yeah, it's ridiculous, right? They also have increased risks of like um, perfectionism, narcissism, um, what else? Like similar personality traits. Yeah. And I can say this, right? Because I used to compete. Yeah. Um, similar personality traits to people who develop anorexia so those types of people go into bodybuilding then they have the biological drive to eat then they have the self-surveillance then we put them on stage and then we say right off you go and so it's just like this absolute shitstorm of like all of this comes together and then we wonder why people like have this disordered eating habits after they finish competing and when I first started nobody spoke about it Nobody would dare say I'm binge eating post-comp because it's not the pro thing to do. Mm. And I still get messages now from people who have prep coaches and they say, I'm this many weeks out or I've just finished competing and I'm binge eating every day and I don't know what to do. And I'm like, well, have you told your coach? And they say, no. And their coach is like this kind of pro bodybuilder or something and it's like the type that would say, well, you just don't want it enough. And so there's still all the shame around it. So it's just, it's tough. It's really difficult and... Women, women competitors seem to be a lot more vocal about it now, but I think there's still a lot of shame in it with male competitors, which is a shame. Yeah. Uh, body dysmorphia. Yeah. It's like being gone. No, no, no. I was just thinking it's... Uh, I'm yet to hear sort of any past pro or current bodybuilder male who's just like, man, after I just had a hard time, you know, not eating or eating, so... 
I think well, you're right. It's a lot of the females are out preaching and educating as uh, as compared to the men. So yeah, I think so. Yeah, uh, thing is, I think the guys who've got the most um, vocal platform, mm. say, of a prose, where they may not have the same issue because they are genetically yeah. gifted and superior. Some may do. Yeah. But it's at that amateur level where, you know, we have to sort of force ourselves and bully ourselves because it doesn't come so easy. True. And I think body dysmorphia is present. And, you know, and I know I've got traits of body dysmorphia and have my whole life because my mum always tells me, you know, that I do. Because, you know, the reality is I look back at photos from my last ones I did post because I thought I was too fat. Oh, yeah. And I look at them and go, wow, look how lean I looked. <laughs> now, and I look at it with, you know, hindsight. And, yeah, it's the same now, probably. You know, when I did the check-in photos this morning. But I'm, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not worried about binge eating, you know, because, you, know, you know, I have a plan for that. But I think, for me, you know, that's sort of never... You, know, you look at yourself with an overly critical eye if you're not careful. It's not like an objective eye, it's super sort of, you know, you, you, know, you look at yourself under a massive microscope and any tiny fault becomes a big oh, yeah. issue. <laughs> and yeah, you've just got to be a bit careful then how you reverse out of your, your diet phase. You know, I'm, I'm a bit older, so I'm a little bit more self aware of being in my 40s. But I think if I, you know, and I didn't compete till later, luckily I had other sports pursuits and I was, I was good at those and they didn't like you know rugby didn't get rugby you can look at like anything it's great you know that was never an issue but you know I think and I've, I said this before I actually found more body pressure the older I got and you know the reality is I felt less body pressures in my 20s than I ever did until my 30s like social media was bigger and there's a lot more pressure for older guys to also look a certain way now. You know, there's whole Instagram pages about guys, in, shredded guys in their 40s, 50s, that 60s. Point. You name it, you know. And that's now, you know, yeah, that's not why I got into bodybuilding. I got into bodybuilding because I need a competitive outlet on these, um, you know, and it's more about the actual training, you know. Being on stage in my pants is like the least fun bit of it. But... Um, you know, it's, it's just, you know, gives, keeps me focused, I suppose. But there is that sort of fine line across all that spectrum between where is it going too far? And I see it a lot with, especially younger guys, you know, that sort of narcissistic tendencies, where if you, you know, you speak to people, you're like, mm, yeah, you probably need to take a step away, maybe for a little while. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, usually people that need to take a step away are the ones that definitely won't take a step away. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Amelia, do you get a lot of competitors working with you who've competed and 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 developed disordered eating and, and yeah, want to find a different way? Yeah, I work with a lot of competitors. In fact, one of my coaches who also used to compete, pretty much all of her clients are, are former competitors who are finally at the point of stepping away, especially for women as well. There's the added part of hypothalamic amenorrhea, i.e. loss of your period mm -hmm. from chronic dieting. And so we get a lot of clients who are like that, who are who are overeating and who have HA and can consistently restrict in and they finally step away. And a lot of the time they come to us and 
say temporarily I want to fix these things mm. and then I'll compete again. But then often, usually they don't because they re- once they let it go, they realise yeah. what life can feel like. And yeah. they go, oh, actually, now I've let go of this control. I don't want to go back into that headspace again. So, yeah, a lot of our clients are people who have disordered eating habits. Yeah. And sometimes, some, you know, the number of times I prefer people with eating disorders who have come from competing as well, who have been eating disorder, and that's outside my scope of practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has... It's not necessarily come from competing. They may well have, they usually had tendencies in the past mm. and then competing's controlled it for a while and then they finish competing and it's, it's really bad. So okay. yeah, I see a lot of it. Yeah. And do you transition yeah. them? Yeah. Or is it just like, you know, if they're coming from using MyFitnessPal and tracking every single thing, is it cold turkey or do you transition into a different way? <laughs> yeah, it depends. So... Okay. I kind of see this as kind of like two different strands and I think there's quite a lot this movement to um, remove and track it. If you're somebody who really controls Sorry, that's a dog. He's a bloodhound. Sorry. If it's someone who really finds control in tracking, removing it completely can feel like too much, like just taking you away. Um, so it might be more phasic but if there's somebody who is regularly overeating not binge eating but just regularly eating like emotional eating etc then actually cold turkey can be really following some guidelines but if you're eating regularly for example is really important but actually just removing tracking can be the best thing and it just removes a lot of stress as well so it kind of depends on where their what their start point is really mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> So, yeah, something I wanted to touch on is something you said about um, people coming to you with eating disorders. This is something I've seen too many coaches are quick to take on people that are clearly showing signs of, you know, having an actual clinical issue. And for some reason, you know, it's obvious, but they won't turn them away. And I think, you know, and I've, I've read you you've talked about this before in some of your posts about you know, staying in your lane and knowing where you sit as a coach. And it's something, you know, we've talked about on the podcast, you know, about how, you know, you need to be able to turn, guide those people towards getting professional help rather than getting their money to coach them, you know? Yeah, yeah do you know what? Sometimes I think it's money uh, and people just want the clients. Sometimes I think it's a bit of a hero complex. Like, we have an ego problem in fitness, let's be honest. Yeah. We've all, at some point, massage their own egos but I think that some of it so I think a lot of it is that people genuinely believe that they can help someone Mm -hmm. and sometimes that comes from a bit of projection like they've had disordered eating in the past and so they say I know because I've been there I can help you I can help you better than the GP because the GP didn't help me and I know how that feels and I can help and so sometimes I think sometimes it's good intention you know you've been through that sometimes it's hero complex and sometimes it's money either way there's a, there's a clinical route to support people with eating disorders for a reason. And I, I, I struggle to see like the good intentions behind it. I struggle to see the best in people who consistently take on clients with eating disorders when they're a personal trainer. It's so dangerous. And even though you think you might be doing good in the short term, sticking them on a meal plan so that they're not binge eating, that works for so long and you think that you've cured them. But as soon as you take that away, they're back at square one again and yeah. you wonder what's happened. So, yeah, it's so important. I just... It's a shame that within fitness we continue to make this mistake and keep taking people on that are outside of our scope. And the, the irony, of course, being that 
We don't have any um, regulation with this. If I'm a registered nutritionist, so if I took on someone with a clinical eating disorder, I would get struck off as a registered nutritionist. If a personal trainer started working with someone with an eating disorder, there's no there's no uh, fallout from that. They don't yeah. get struck off yeah. as a personal trainer. True, true, true. I know so that's, that's crazy, isn't it? Like, I honestly yeah. think that you know, the entry level to be a personal trainer is, is too low. Um, I, I mean, even as a personal trainer, you shouldn't be giving meal plans or anything like that. It should just be advice. But, you know, I think not just here, but everywhere, you know, I see so many personal trainers giving out very detailed meal plans that are, that are pretty dreadful. Um, and, but I also think that some people who, you know, who, who we work with, they somehow just yeah, they kind of disguise that they do have disordered eating um, and, you know, they have quite a specific sort of aesthetic goal. So you think, OK, well, maybe they, you know, tracking calories and macros might work for them. But then then you kind of start seeing the signs. But yeah. I guess it's, yeah, it's quite hard to to sort of t- yeah have that discussion with them because um, I'm sure that that really is a coping mechanism. For people with either a full-on disorder or, or disordered eating. Um, yeah, and sometimes it doesn't come out in conversation until a month or two when you've developed that that open yeah. relationship where someone feels that they can discuss it with you. But again, that's on us to create that environment where people can be honest, they can be mm-hmm. brave enough and vulnerable enough to tell us these things. Yeah. And if we're not creating that environment and we're filling it with shame and telling them they just don't want it enough, it's never going to happen. Yeah, no, for sure. And I mean... We will say, like, the, I mean, the, the sort of health and fitness industry here in Kenya is still sort of up and coming um, and growing, but there's just so much focus on, like, really extreme diets here. There's, like, fat loss lab, metabolic diet, and, you know, juices, is, well, I guess everywhere. They're still, you know, the rage. Yeah. And, um yeah, there's, there's, there's like, I think very, very few people, you know, like you, you know, you know, with a different way to go about it, you know, and still reaching anybody goals that you want, because, you know, that is what a lot of people want. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's really wonderful, I think, for people who will listen to this to see that, you know, there is no one route to get to where you want to go you know you 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 just have to be patient um and you know not fall for the latest yeah because some, sometimes it feels like with with most clients who come half the time you're doing damage control it's it's mm. it's trying you know it's i was on a 500 calorie diet or you like it's even the training that so telling that person, like, you know, you, 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 we're not doing any of that, and you can really see in their head, like, what are you talking about? Like, but that's how you do it. Like, are you sure? And, yeah. And it takes so long. It, it does happen, but you can see how long it takes for them even to just train right. And because uh, here, I guess cardio is still a big thing, the same way diets and slim teas. So introducing weight training and just more food is like it's like whoa whoa i was sent to you but I was, yeah i was sent to you by someone are you sure 
you know, yeah, so. I get a lot of are you sure? Are you sure this <laughs> yeah. is enough training? Yeah. yeah, I'm 100% sure that four sessions a week progressively overloading is legit when you're a mum and you have a job and you have a husband. I'm sure this is enough, yeah. but it's really not. Yeah, <laughs> especially if someone's used to training six to seven days on juices and it, it does. Yeah. Uh, the fitness, I guess the fitness industry just has a long way to go still, but uh, yeah. hopefully in the right yeah. direction. And I mean, yes. it's, it's all the education. It's one of my favourite like, things to do, though, is adding. So, no, 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 go ahead. One of my favourite things to do is when someone comes to me and they go, right, we've got easier calories. And, and then they go, well, I, you know, why, why is it so much food? <laughs> they do a week of, you know, and you go, oh, no, get this one on protein. We'll work on protein first. No, it's just so much food. I feel so full all the time. It's like, well, that's good. So, yeah, it's like, yeah, it's good to be full. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah. But you just think, some people, especially, well, my generation, our generation, they've come from dieting since the age of 16. Yeah. So they've been dieting for 15 years. Mm. So to say, let's try, you can still diet, but let's try it in this way, is like transformative. Of course, it takes more than a couple of months to get buy-in sometimes because you've literally been on a diet for 15 years, doing all these stupid things for 15 years, and everyone's fed up, which I get. Uh-huh. But I don't know if you've noticed, though, it. I don't know if it's ever in the world, but I know, like, you find even here, a lot of cultures anyway, it's women need to eat less. So when the lady's eating a lot, it's like, whoa, slow down. Then for the boys and the men, it's, you need to eat more. If you eat less, it's like, why, why, you know, so somehow I think even before social media, there was still that sort of, it's yeah. ingrained in a lot of people, and I guess it stays with you even though you don't know it. And uh... Yeah, I, co- I completely agree. Do you know, I've got clients near you, actually. I've got a couple of clients near you, and I've got a couple of clients in, from various different backgrounds and cultures throughout the world, and it's really interesting to see the dynamic mm. because every culture's got some sort of patriarchal dynamic, and that impacts yeah. the men and the women. It's not just screwing women over here. But it's, it's sometimes really difficult to hear someone say, like, for me, in the UK, if my dad told me I was fat, I would smack him in the face. Mm. Because it's, like, that's outrageous. But I know that in some cultures, that's quite normal. And it's it's just still so normalised to this day. So how you then speak to a woman who is a daughter who's been told her whole life that she's fat by her dad and that's been normalised is really really tough and yeah. on the flip side you've got a man sorry there's a siren outside and yeah. um, if you've got a man who has who's constantly been told to like be more and eat more and be bigger and it's the same it's the same issue it's like do you know what i just want to be healthy and that might actually be smaller than i am now and it's really toxic yeah. both yeah. those sides so we're constantly fighting against these narratives everywhere yeah and what i've had good discussions with some of my clients and and with Annie because he's got a daughter and it's like how do you go about sort of especially with young girls like they see you dieting and kind of how you, you go about that discussion of sort of why you're doing it and it's not about you know associating your self-worth with how you look but you can still have that goal um so it's really hard what's what's your sort of take on that 
it's so hard because I'm trying to do this on social media all the time, yeah. nuance, and it just it always gets picked up incorrectly by you. You see it how you want to see it. So you've all mm. we've all got our own lenses, and we will read something that's got nuance in it the yeah. way that we want to read it. I put a post up today, and someone's like, "I don't understand this because it's nuanced." So mm-hmm. how you then have that conversation with your child is so tough. And one of my clients is getting this uh, skin removal because she's lost loads of weight, and she's she's been debating it because she doesn't want to say it in front of her kids yeah. because yeah. of that same reason. Um, and I, I honestly don't know the answer. I think kids learn by what you do, mm-hmm. not by what you say. So even if you are dieting, making sure that you're not completely excluding foods, making sure you're practicing food neutrality. If you can still eat with your family, bodybuilding is going to be slightly different. But in general, if you're dieting, you should still be able to eat with your family and with your kids so that they don't look at you and say, well, if mum can't have that or dad can't have that, then I can't have that. Yeah. So I think a lot of it is they pick up our actions. And I think one of the really common things in something that came up when I I'm a I'm trained to be a therapist and something that comes up a lot there is these interjected values that we get from our parents mm-hmm. so if I was to grow this didn't happen to me but if I was to grow up and watch my dad say to my mom every time she dieted that she looked great or made comments about her weight or you know he was more affectionate every time she was a bit thinner as a child without me him even saying anything about that I would grow up thinking oh you're more loved if you're skinnier yeah. and that's just that narrative goes into your head and then as you become a teenager and an adult that's what you believe and if it's not on the surface that gets buried really deep and you, then you wonder why you're in your 30s and you think why do I keep trying to lose weight all the time why do I keep fighting this all the time and it's back to like what you saw when you were five years old so it's yeah. so tough, mm-hmm. it's so tough, but I think all we can do is work on our own relationships with food mm-hmm. and use that as a bit of a model. Yeah. Well, I think you handle it really well, Andy. Like, you know, she... Yeah, it's, it's, it's it tough, though, yeah, because yeah. I'm a single dad, so it's just me and Tyler. So I've got no one else to sort of foil off, but until she's going to see her mum, but mum also works in fitness in central London, so it's not messing with, you know, it's kind of, you know, she, and her mum's tiny, so... Um, for Kaya, you know, I always talk about, you know, before, like, sport. She's not, she doesn't particularly like sport, but I always just talk about, let's go for a walk. And actually, I put the fun into what we're doing, exercise. Yeah, if she wants to eat, she can eat. What I do worry about is how militant she is with my eating. Like, if she sees me eating something, like the other day I was giving more carbs, with these potatoes, she come in and go, should you be eating as well? And she's having a pile of pancakes. And it's like... Yeah, and I'm like, you know, so I worry that, you know, I, I, I try to, you know, and I have a fondness conversation with her. She is now, you know, nearly nine, so she's a little bit more able to hold a good conversation about these things. Um, and, and, and talk about, you know, what I do is actually great, particularly. Like, bodybuilding is <laughs> fun for me, but it's not the healthiest way to live your life. And, you know, and we, we, have these, and we can have these conversations now and I you know she, she I think she just enjoys telling me off when she sees me eating stuff yeah. but yeah. she's um I don't want that to spiral into a later life yeah. you know. <laughs> but yeah and we say you know the main thing with her is you know I always tell her you know she's eating saying you know just enjoy it you know we focus more on the sports stuff like when she you know wasn't winning in sports day she's more upset about that and said well that's okay, you have to be good at sport, but if you want to be better, let's do a bit of sprint training and stuff that I know a little bit about, you know. Um, and we'll just have a bit of fun with it. Yeah. You know, get you out of the horses a bit more, because we get, you know, we've got the horses. And, you know, and I supported her on a tennis tournament, parent and daughter tennis, and I haven't played in 20 years. So, you know, that, you know, 
But as a thing, it's like, you know, I like her to enjoy the activity rather than focus on the food. It's just, you know, it is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. definitely a good approach, I think. Yeah, because otherwise it does start so, so young. I mean, we we were young, lucky not to grow up with yeah, the availability of social media now because I just think that must be... I can't even imagine being a young girl with all of that. I really, <laughs> I really, it must, yeah, you're bombarded on every side. And it's so, I mean, good and bad, because there are great people like you, you know, who, who you know, young girls can follow. But then on the flip side, there's just so much yeah. bad info out there. And it, it really yeah. is, you know, based on... Sorry, Andy? We talk about social media, you know, in negative, and it can be can be very positive but I look at my mum's generation though my mum when I was growing up she's a very disordered eater mm. and she has been you know when she was younger had eating disorders and you know she had had problems you know because she grew up in an era of people like Twiggy and stuff and yeah. her you know the, the, the birth of the super the skinny supermodel and my mum was always told by her own mum that she's a bit poor kid times mm. and, and so ever since I was a kid all I remember is my mum dying and even now, she'll skip meals, and I'm like, Mum, just, just eat. eat. Yeah. You know, she go, oh, no, cholesterol. Well, it does, what, you're just not going to eat because of cholesterol. Mm. <laughs> well, I, tried to, I tried to educate her, but her being mum, she doesn't necessarily listen yeah. to so, Yeah, I'm so, so much the same with my mum. She'll be like, oh, I shouldn't have that, though. And I'll say, who, should, who says you shouldn't? She's like, oh, I, I just shouldn't. I yeah. said, oh, <laughs> That's a good question. I had that conversation with her once. We should, I shouldn't have more than one croissant a week because we went for breakfast. And then she was like, I don't know where that's come from. And I was like, well, exactly. So I think uh, the generation above, like, they just didn't have the awareness of it. Mm. But I totally agree. So they didn't have the awareness of the detriment of dieting all the time or comparing their bodies and all of these things. And then, so, so they've certainly got a lot of disordered habits in that generation. And then our generation we have the awareness but we also have the, such a heightened social comparison so whereas when we were like when I was at school we didn't have I didn't have Facebook till I was at uni I don't think so at school I was comparing to the girls at school whereas now I think if I was 15 I would be comparing to the girls at school plus Kendall Jenner plus the Kardashians all the other Kardashians yeah. everyone else and I just think we know that social comparison is one of the main triggers for all these types of behaviours and our social comparison fields now are just infinite compared to hundred girls in our year. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, I remember my first competition. Same thing. I don't know if it's disordered eating, but <laughs> I would not eat anything I didn't see any bodybuilder. Um, like, if you tell me, ah, you could have... Um, well, it was always broccoli, rice, and chicken. So if you told me I could oh, have... Oh, okay. I could have kill. Yeah, I could have kill. I'm like, no. I they don't eat kale. I saw Ronnie Coleman eat broccoli, so why, why am I having kale? So, I always eat tomatoes in mine. I can do the rice, broccoli, and chick, plain chicken. <laughs> I always need those chopped tomatoes mixed in. Oh, my first competition was brutal. It was bad. The first, I think the first one you always do something stupid. Oh, I, like right. I followed a meal plan for 10 weeks and then... When I competed after that, I was like, I'm going to be that person that <laughs> deliberately eats everything just to make a point because I was natural and because I was, yeah. my thing was condition and I'd be like, I'm eating crumpets in peak week and that's fine and I would make a point of doing it and I people hated it. It's like, no. <laughs> oh, that's, that's interesting. Fish for thin skin. Yeah. yeah. Fish for thin skin. That's how I used to be saying. What thin skin, you eat fish. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, 
I I I did the fish for two weeks thing and it, and I wasn't I wasn't enjoying it. I was I even remember. Yeah, but you've come with you came with the whole mentality. You must suffer. Oh yeah, like, I I had to. There is not supposed to be any enjoyment. Yeah. You that, need to suffer. And that was even the second prep, which was the first one. I'd swallow the fish, you know, like I wouldn't yeah, even see. chew it because I don't like it. But it's like. Ronnie Coleman says, or Jay oh, Cutler like says, a, like, or, like a mastication, Leo. It was not a healthy time in any way, but I think you know that's how people see dieting as well. Like yeah. it must be really hard and unpleasant for it to work, otherwise. But yeah, it, it, yeah. I guess it. Looking back, I can say it taught me. So I'm not regretting as such. It's just I can look back and laugh about it and learn from it. So. That's, I mean, that's all we can do, right? Because yeah. we've all done it absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. And you're just like, well, I learned, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. So it's it helps also because when I have uh, guys doing prep who come with the same mindset, I guess having been there, it's sort of easy to talk to them and teach and just... Because I've been there and I see them and they're on this interesting plans and I'm like, huh, I, I remember this period of time, so... It, yeah. it, it, it does serve as good education. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I, I guess for you as well, having having been a competitor, that is so useful to understand where, yeah, where that comes from. Um, yeah, 100%. Just, but, it, but it is sad that so many people think that, yeah, if you're in a calorie deficit, that just has to be really unpleasant, mm. you know, and... If you're not suffering, same with it's, training. It's if you're not working. suffering, yeah, it, it's, not, it's not going to be working. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The irony being, of course, that the more enjoyable it is, the more likely you are to yeah. sustain it, and the more likely you are to drop body fat, and the more likely you are to keep that body fat off and yeah. keep wanting to train. But you know, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's interesting for even self-aware people like you. Like, it's oh, yeah. only now that you are, you've just started another sort of fat loss phase that you're like, okay, I'm going to try more of a flexible dieting approach because. Yeah, before I think yeah, oh, yeah coming before. from bodybuilding background, you were quite scared to yeah. trust yourself. Like you were saying, really trust yourself to eat. It's like who said you can't eat that and you know get to your to your goal. Um, yeah, there's really no answer. It's just, yeah, it's yeah. just it's just been ingrained. So you just do it and hope to suffer even more. <laughs> but but yeah, it's um it's yeah it's it's just nicer because. I'd treat the clients better than I'd treat myself, you know, like yeah. I'm teaching them something else. But when it comes to mine, I'm like, nope, I'm swallowing the fish. That's so <laughs> true, though. That's so true with everyone. And I have this conversation with clients. But would you speak to your friend like the way you speak to yourself in a monologue? Like I see the check-ins and they say, it's like, you know, wins. And they say, oh, no wins this week. And we go into a self-critical. Yeah. Mm-hmm
and just yeah when you when you pick up on that to them they're like oh i failed and mm. had a slice of cake and you're like you know what why is that a failure um yeah. and you know and just yeah like you said before like who said you can't eat that and it's like some they like out yeah. there said <laughs> yeah. you can't do that mm. um yeah. and i guess yeah just bringing awareness to that is is really important well I think um, and, and unless you've got anything else you want to ask we want to make sure you catch your flight <laughs> oh yeah that'll be good, that'll be good. But, um, Amelia thank you so much that was just it's, it's such yes. an interesting topic and um, yeah I can't wait for everybody to hear it as like I said there's not there's not really anyone like you up here so I mean, the beauty of social media is it is global. So um, hopefully more people can yeah, find your page and your website um, and, yeah, learn more. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And hope you have a good time in Bali if you oh, get yeah. there. Enjoy. Thank you. Thanks. Get some sunshine and delicious Bye. food. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Okay. Bye. 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 Thank you.